We've been in a series, Autopsy. We've been looking at the Antichrist and the end of the age. Some people love this stuff, some people don't. But God told me to speak on this for the rest of the month. And so that's what we're doing. But I've shared with you the last few weeks that one of the reasons I gave this sermon series this title is because Kelly and I like to watch murder mysteries. We like to figure out how we can kill each other and get away with it. And so we always watch 48 Hours Mystery and Dateline, and now 2020 is trying to compete with Dateline, and they've got their murder mystery Friday night special. But uh, we've even got a forensic farm just up the road at the University of Tennessee. It's one of the finest in the world, and they learn the causes of death and different things there at the University of Tennessee. But, you know, when you perform an autopsy, the, the goal is to really determine three things. First, the state of health, the identity of the deceased, and the cause of death. We've spent much time on the state of health, and today we're going to deal with the identity of the beast in Revelation 13, the identity of the Antichrist, not only the kingdom he represents, the kingdom of darkness, but the religion that he could rule and reign over for his seven years. I've had people, you know, throw rocks and different things and say, well, you're a so-and-so phobe, you're an Islamic phobe, or you're a this-a-phobe. Listen, I'm six foot, 230 pounds. I'm not scared of them or anybody else, all right? What my goal is is to give you the truth, and I've said the last three weeks that there are peaceful Muslims in this country that I've even worked with in the area of religious liberty. But that's not what I'm talking about in this season. I'm speaking to you about the end of the age, the great tribulation, the final seven years. And as Christians, we can ignore the evil around us. We can ignore Christians getting their heads cut off in the Middle East for what they believe in, or we can be aware of what's happened really within the last 30 years in our own country as well as the Middle East. We need to be aware of the evil that exists in this world. And that's what I want to make you aware of this morning. The ultimate goal of the Antichrist and the religion he will represent is a complete takeover. A complete takeover. And that's what I want to describe to you this morning. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed or under a curse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. I don't want to offend anyone this morning, but there aren't multiple pathways to heaven. There is one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ who came here in the flesh, was crucified, died, and was buried, got up out of the grave, commissioned his church, was seen alive for 40 days, ascended to the Father, and promises us he's coming back for his church, his bride, his body. He is the way to heaven. And it is a glorious way that he paved because you don't have to earn your way into heaven. 
he earned it for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Two kinds of religions in the world. You say, Pastor Ronnie, that's not true. There are thousands of religions. No, there's really two. One says, you gotta earn your way to God's heart. The other says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If you want to earn it, have fun. I'm going to be hanging out over here with the grace crowd. Amen? And so we see a shift. So as I told you last week, Abraham goes in the wrong tent at the request of his wife and doesn't wait on the promise of God, and therefore he is given a son, Ishmael. I have struggled with this passage of Scripture my entire life because I'm a merciful, mushy person. I don't understand what Ishmael did to deserve what he got. He didn't sin. He didn't go into the tent. He didn't ask to be born. But yet, his parents sinned, and therefore here he is, and he gets a blessing from God, but it's kind of a mixed blessing with a curse attached to it that he will be a wild beast that he will lead a rebellion and he gets sent off to his own kingdom. And as I've struggled with this, the Lord has made clear to me a few facts of life that I have been told my whole life, but have just started to realize the last decade. First, life is not fair, friend. It's not. If anybody told you life was fair, they lied to you. You may look at someone else's path and you may think, man, they've got it made. Look at everything they've got. You don't know the hell or the pain they went through in their private life to get where they are. You don't know what their ancestors had to go through so that they could have what they have. Don't ever start comparing your journey to someone else. We all have pain and our family history all has Difficult things attached to our DNA line that got us here. So Ishmael, and you have this war brewing in the Middle East to this day because the people of Isaac and Jacob believe they have the rights to that ancient land that we'll visit in a few months. And then Ishmael and the radical Islamic Religion feels that they have the right to God's holy place. And it all started with a man who had God's heart and who had faith made a mistake. So life's not fair too. Our decisions have consequences. Gosh, I wish they didn't sometimes. It's not that God won't forgive you. It's not that your grace payment hasn't been made. It has. You're forgiven. You're under grace. You're not under the law. Glory to God. But your decisions have generational consequences. If you don't put them under the blood, then a curse will come on you. The nation of Islam, particularly those involved in the radical segment of it, are governed by three demonic spirits. The first is an orphan spirit. See, you've heard me preach on this orphan spirit, but think of Isaac and Ishmael. 
If you allow a spirit of inferiority, insecurity, what we call an orphan spirit, I could say bastard like it does in the King James to wake you up, but I'm trying to be nice up here today. Orphan spirit. An orphan is someone who is without a covering. It's someone who lives under shame, who lives under insecurity, someone who's constantly having to prove themselves because no matter what they accomplish or what they attain, it's never enough. They never feel good enough about who they are to stand firm in their convictions, an orphan spirit. The roots of Islam, as I'll prove to you in just a moment, not only began with Ishmael who had an orphan spirit, but Muhammad who founded the thing, lost both of his parents as a toddler. So you have the orphan spirit. Second, you have the spirit of Cain, this murderous, demonic, evil spirit that wants to take things by force and shed innocent blood. It's an orphan spirit, it's the spirit of Cain, and it's a spirit, as I taught you last week, of deception. Deception, the twisting of the truth the changing of ancient Christian writings, this conglomerate of Catholicism and Islam and all of these things, even the gospels intertwined into this demonic religion that you can change whenever you want. You can add and subtract from it to excuse anything that you want to do. As I've taught you in Revelation 13, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. As I've shared with you, this Antichrist will have a mortal wound but be raised from the dead on live internet. That's how he will gain the following. He will have Christ-like features and there will be miracles that he will perform, but they won't be in the power of God. They'll be in a demonic, mystical power that comes from the prince of darkness and through these miracles, this Antichrist will deceive the masses. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Ask yourself this question. Is it unlikely that the people of this world would follow the government blindly? So they worship the dragon, Satan, who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So you have the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. See, whenever the enemy wants to do something, he'll get a religion to support it. Come on, somebody. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, the Antichrist. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. The book of the lamb, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith 
of the saints. Then it goes on to say in the next few verses, this false prophet will appeal to the masses. He'll have great communication. He'll have an appeal the way he looks. He performs great signs. He even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by signs which was granted to do that he was granted to do inside of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. See, demonic moves always have to erect some kind of statue to worship that's not of God. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Check this out, verse 16. He causes all both small and great, rich or poor, free and slave to receive the mark on their right hand or their foreheads and that no one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, which we know is 666. Listen, with technology today and the things we've seen Mr. Gates involved with and all the way to the CERN and all of these things, listen, I can walk into a grocery store now and just tap my card and pay and walk out. Just tapping it. And they're wanting to implement chips in the back of the head now and some in the front and some in the hands in order for you to pay and do business and they're even promising now these chips that they'll put in your brain they're promising that once you get this chip they'll be able to keep you from losing a limb they'll be able to cure your diabetes they'll be able to take care of your cancer situation they're promising this you can you can see this on nightly news these things are happening now this isn't going to happen in the future these things are happening now they're happening right now and people, in order to be on the cutting edge, will trust a covering that's not of God. Could it be the government? Yes. Could it be radical Islam? Yes. Could it be a new world religion that intertwines three or four? Absolutely. We don't know specifically, but we know the signs and we know the scriptures and we can be prepared for what is to come. Let me tell you why I believe Islam has such a prominent role in the end times. The beginning of Islam. So for about 2,500 years, the world was void of written revelation from Almighty God. From the creation of Adam to the time of Exodus, there was no written scripture from God. Prior to the flood of Noah, men lived to be over 900 years of age, and they handed down information, godly information, by word of mouth from father to son, typically. Moses led his people out of captivity and eventually to Mount Sinai where the world would receive its first written revelation from God and it was what we call the Torah, the law, the laws of God. There has been much debate over where Mount Sinai actually is. If you go to Israel with me, uh, they're going to tell you that the traditional place at the St. Catherine's Monastery is probably not the actual place. The Apostle Paul, after his conversion, spent some time in what I believe was the correct place in Arabia and believed that there was an original Mount Sinai there where future generations of Islamic followers would go there to worship and kiss a black rock. Now the mountains of Arabia 
host one of the fastest growing religions in the world. It is indeed Islam. Let me give you some facts quickly. Muhammad was the founder of Islam. He was from Arabia where the Apostle Paul spent three years. The word Islam means total submission to Allah. If you want to follow Allah, then you must be totally submitted. And if you're not, they'll force you to submit. This Muhammad claimed a series of visions, gave him the revelation to pen their holy book, the Quran. The Hadith and the Sunog are the commentaries of this religion. In chapters 2108, there is what's called an abrogative, and this means that any scripture that they want to change for the advancement of the religion of Islam can be changed. In other words, people will say, well, it's a peaceful religion, and for many in this country, it is a peaceful religion. But for the radicals, once they get control of a region, a city, a nation, then they can lie, they can murder, they can rape, they can do whatever they want to do as long as it advances the kingdom of Islam. You see, the Bible is what it is. A sin is a sin. Lying's a sin. Murdering's a sin. In the Quran, you can lie as long as it furthers your agenda. You can change the scriptures that aren't in order in the first place. This Muhammad claimed to be a direct descendant of Ishmael. I taught you last week, Abraham's firstborn. Muhammad's father died before he was born. Everybody say orphan spirit. His mother died before he was six years old. A spirit of rejection that is not dealt with will lead to a demonic life. Can I say it again? If you do not deal with the pain from your past and your own rejection by your father, your mother, your first husband, first wife, whatever it is, if you allow rejection to win, it will turn you into a dark and demonic person. Sharia law is about control. It is their legal system that once they take control of a city, we've even seen them do this in certain cities in America, this is their form of government. Let me tell you about this peaceful form of government. Sharia law permits wife beating, ladies. How many of you want to sign up for that? If you don't do what your husband says, they can beat the fire out of you under Sharia law, and it is completely legal. It involves tormenting, even castrating homosexuals. It involves marital rape, mutilation, honor killings, which means when you kill someone that's a Christian or a Jew, you receive rewards in paradise. Virgins and all kinds of false promises and demonic promises. You're rewarded for murdering people who don't agree with you. And non-believers in their religion will pay higher taxes than believers. How many of you want to sign up for that? Do you know there are already cities in the United States under this law? There are in Michigan and in other places. 
Muhammad was raised by his uncle, and at age 25, he married a wealthy widow named Kahadija. They had six children. He lived near Mecca when he was 40, heard a voice he thought was the angel Gabriel. His early messages were about God's goodness, power, and his coming judgment. They weren't even in contradiction to God's word. But something demonic happened. At first, the name Allah was considered to be the same God as the Jews and as other faiths. But over time, that changed. Many Arabs, during the beginning stages of Muhammad's reign, called him a false prophet to his face and a liar. The violence and division became so bad, Muhammad and his followers were forced out of Mecca to a city now known as Medina in Saudi Arabia. Things take a turn here. The Muslims of Medina under Muhammad started stealing and murdering Jews. They started murdering those that moved them out of Mecca and it became a bloodthirsty war that continues to this day. Muhammad promised them that if they died for the cause of Islam, for Allah, that they would go to paradise. Mecca eventually surrendered to the Muslims and became the home to Islam. Muhammad died at 62 years age, of age, and some believe he was poisoned by one of his wives. He was illiterate. He could not write or read, so his followers wrote down his revelations and his experiences, and that is now known as the Quran. So that is the beginning of Islam. Number two, the branches of Islam. Muslims believe that 104 sacred books were given by God to mankind. They include the Genesis account, Adam, the book of Seth, Enoch, and Abraham. The four others were the, to Moses, of course, the Torah, Psalms of David, even the Gospels. They include in their sacred writings, but the most prevalent book is the Quran. The death of Muhammad left a void in the nation because he had not named a successor. So the religion broke off into two branches and eventually three empires. Is everybody getting this or am I boring you to death? All right. The Sunnis were the first branch. They accepted a man named Abu as their successor, considered the first caliph he brought the tribes of Arabia under Islamic control. Next, you've got the Sunnis and the Shiites. The Shiites accepted Ali as their successor and their main place of emphasis where they ruled and reigned from was Iran. The two branches, the Sunnis and the Shiites, have been at war with one another for thousands of years. The Shiite division became so strong, 11 of their 12 leaders were poisoned and killed by the opposition. This is important because at the 12th, the 12th leader, Caliph, was supposed to be a Messiah to some extent. According to the Shiite belief system, the 12th leader will play a role during the end times. This is where I want you to wake back up, drink your coffee, smack your neighbor, whatever, okay? The 12th leader they believed would play a role and lead an end time move. So the Shiite division became so strong 
that the opposition poisoned 11 of the 12. Okay, the 12th holy man was 12 years old at the time. He disappeared immediately after the others were poisoned and killed off the streets, being named the chosen Iman. No one has seen this young boy since this took place. Radical Islamic followers believe that this young boy who was kidnapped or disappeared, whatever happened, they believe he will reappear during the end times as their final prophet. I believe that it's not only possible, that it's highly probable that this particular Iman or someone who claims to be him could be the Antichrist. It is not only possible, it is probable. In the Quran, the last days are described in the following ways. Some are very similar to the Bible. They believe in a one world empire controlled by a military leader. Everybody say check. Day of uprising is what they refer to it as. The day of separation, day of reckoning, the day of awakening and sending forth the last day, the encompassing day, the hour. So those are the two branches of Islam. There have been three empires over the last 19 centuries. First began in India, it's called the Mughal. The second was the Safavid out of Iran. And then the one we, we are most familiar with is the Ottoman Empire, Anatolia, which was in Turkey. The Ottoman Empire was by far the most aggressive, conquering Constantinople in 1455. Uh, they murdered thousands upon thousands of Christians to take control of Constantinople. They were slaughtered, they were abused, they were murdered. People who believed just like you and I. The Ottoman Empire expanded into the Balkans, Vienna and Morocco. They slaughtered and enslaved Christians in Armenia and all the way into Sudan. The Ottoman Empire and the last caliph were defeated by the British in World War II. That's why when we say we should honor our troops, we mean it here. Because America historically always fought for peace. Now, we made some mistakes at times. America's had a rough road to being who we are, but we always tried to fight for peace and to push back evil. And that should be honored in this country, I believe. The Arab states were divided. Israel left the Ottoman Empire to, to go under British control because of the threat of terror and murder, all of the Middle East was divided. After the world wars, Islamic nations began to rise up. 1921, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, Indonesia, Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, Sudan, Malaysia, Nigeria, Algeria, Iraq, Iran, Qatar, Kuwait, and others. Let's move to number three, the beast of Islam. The Mahadi, everybody say Mahadi, the guided one. This is their savior that is coming back to convert the world to their acts of terror and way of life. If you ask a Muslim believer who knows the Quran, if they believe in Jesus, they will respond, why absolutely we do, of course. They believe Jesus is coming back to convert everyone to Islam, to end Judaism, 
to slaughter Christianity so that this new religion, this really not new, it goes back, will be the epicenter of the world. Their end time beliefs are as such, and you'll find some parallels to the book of Revelation here. Three blasts of a trumpet, it says in the Quran, will lead the way for the Mahdi. The first blast will bring terror to all creatures in heaven and earth. The second blast will bring death to all. The third blast, 40 years later, all will be raised from the dead and judged. 1,000 years of judgment. It's interesting, that's how long Jesus is going to reign with us. Maybe the judgment they're seeking for everybody else is judgment they'll face. They believe that their Mahdi was that 12-year-old boy that went missing in 87, 8 AD, 878 AD. This Mahdi, will, his name will be Muhammad, traced back to the original Muhammad. He will look like the original. He will have a bald forehead and a high-hooked nose, according to the Quran. He will have a distinctive mole and a V-shaped hole between his front teeth. He will appear during the end times. The Syrian army will attack him, but he will defeat them, and Iran and Syria will submit to him. He will seize Turkey. He will unify all of Islam. He will convert the world to Islam. There will be much prosperity. Check this out. Most Islamic believers, radical and peaceful, believe that this Mahdi will rule seven years. Is anybody awake? The tribulation is how long? seven years. At the three and a half year point, the Antichrist flips the script and goes from a person of peace to a person of terror. He becomes a beast. After everything is unified, even people leaving their race, leaving their religion to unify under this false prophet and this beast, then the terror starts those last three and a half years. So interesting that their belief and our belief while different, are very similar numerically. Parallels between what the Bible says about the Antichrist and Islamic tradition. There's so many. The Antichrist will bring 10 kings, according to the Quran, under his control. So the Mahdi will unite Islam, which means at least 10 of those nations will come under him. So Revelation and the Quran. Daniel says the Antichrist will bring gold and silver to his followers, just like Islamic tradition says. In other words, people that can be bought will be bought. Amen? Most traditions believe the Mahdi will be on the scene seven years. We talked about the seven-year tribulation the last few weeks. The Mahdi, this is important, will take over Turkey. Daniel says the king of the north shall come against him. The false prophet who I call the buddy of the beast. Verse 11 of Revelation chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon and he exercises all the authority to the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the beast whose deadly wound was healed. He was raised from the dead. And then it goes on to say what this particular false prophet will encourage the masses to do. The Muslims believe that the Mahdi and Jesus will appear together. They will destroy the Jews, which is referred to in the Quran as the swine, 
They'll destroy the cross, which is Christianity in the Quran, and they'll convert the world to Islam. They believe Jesus is going to come convert us to their way of thinking. I believe the beast rising out of the sea here is the Antichrist, the coming Islamic Savior. And as I've said, Rome might have something to do with this. It could be a hybrid of both, but I certainly believe that we have enough evidence to believe that the foundation of Islamic principles and the demonic way in which this religion was started will have its way and its say during the tribulation period. The false prophet will proclaim himself as Jesus by performing satanic miracles, and the people will believe this false prophet. So what does that mean to us on a rainy February Sunday morning? Well, we must be ready. We must comfort each other with these words, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We must not fear the enemy. We must not live under a constant state of fear because the Bible says those of us who truly know Jesus and who seek first his kingdom will be gathered together with him. We will be raptured together with him and that we will miss all of this hell. And even the Jewish friends that we have that don't know Jesus and that maybe don't go up in the rapture, they're going to get an opportunity to come to the Savior. All will get an opportunity, but I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to getting my wings and being raptured by Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4 says we're not to live in fear. We're not to live under condemnation or guilt. We're to just look up to the heavens expecting Jesus Christ to do what his word says he will do. But I talk to you individually about the three demonic spirits that I believe undergird Islam. First, the orphan spirit. Listen, you might have had two parents. This is really not about whether you had parents or not, this demonic orphan spirit. It's about a spirit of rejection. And you say, Pastor Ronnie, why are you so passionate about this? Because I had one. It takes one to know one. If you allow insecurity and an orphan spirit and your past pain to define you, friend, you will never get where God has called you to get to. And in this house of grace, I say bring your shame, bring your pain, bring your past. Leave it at the feet of Jesus, my friend, and trust the God of the universe to put purpose on your life, to improve your situation, to help you create a new family line that's blessed and not cursed. You can stay mad at God, you can stay mad at people, or you can forgive and you can allow God to do something brand new in your life. The spirit of Cain is a spirit of jealousy, envy, and murder. This is what Islam's all about. They're mad over Isaac. Let me tell you, it wasn't Ishmael's fault, but guess what? It wasn't Isaac's fault either. That bitterness, that anger, that jealousy that even leads to the shedding of innocent blood. When you hate someone, that's what Jesus said. He said, look, if you hate them, you're just as guilty as if you'd murdered them. You have malice in your heart. Orphan spirit spirit of Cain and the spirit of deception. Listen, as I've preached to you many times, it's my prayer that the people of Abba's house be the most discerning people 
in this region. There's so much I wish I could tell you out of his house that I can't. You got to figure some things out for yourself. There's so many times I wish I could say, hey, don't follow that guy. He's nuts. He's demonic. I know, the, I know the truth about that guy, but the Lord won't let me say certain things about certain people. So I have to pray for you to see and have the eyes of Jesus when you look at a situation. Is anybody with me? So I'm praying against deception for you. I'm praying against an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is a running spirit. It's a quitting spirit. It's a demonic spirit. Spirit of Cain is an angry, jealous, and take vengeance into my own hands spirit. Listen, Abba's house, we can't be a house of grace if those spirits exist in our midst. We've got to get rid of the anger, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the hate. And let me say this, I don't hate the people of Islam. I don't. Let me say that again. I don't hate the people of Islam. I hate the devil that's deceived them. I hate the devil that's deceived them. We must be a place of grace, but we must be a place of faith and of strength as well. Because there is going to come a time in this nation, my friend, where God's people are going to have to stand up. Being a Christian will not get you in the country club in the future. Being a Christian will not be the cool religion to be a part of in the future. It will be the minority, and we better be ready to truly stand for Jesus and what we believe in. We're already seeing the attacks on Christianity all over the world. And I don't know about you, but I think we need to stand up for righteousness and stand up for justice and stand up for truth in this nation. You say, Pastor Ronnie, how do we know how do we keep from being deceived by the Antichrist or the Mahdi or whoever it may be? Let me tell you, the one that's coming back for us has nail-scarred hands. So I don't care how many times a person does miracles. I don't care what religion they lead. If we live long enough to see Jesus come or the Antichrist come on the scene, you better look at his hands because Jesus had Thomas feel his hands and said, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. And the book of Revelation says that he will appear as a lamb having been slain. So when the Messiah comes, check his credentials. Say, are you the one that saved me? Are you the one that shed his blood for me? Can I look at your hands? And if you look at his hands and you see those nail scars, then you know he's the one that's come back for you. He's the one that saved your soul, set you free, healed your body, promised you heaven, and brought peace to your soul. Look at his hands. If you see those nail scars, you're dealing with a savior not a beast or a false prophet. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Listen, I want you to know this Jesus with the nail-scarred hands. I want you to know who he is and what he's done for you. His scars reveal why he came. Those scars are an eternal witness to the word becoming flesh. Those scars represent the love he's poured out for all 
of humanity that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He paid the price and paved the way for us to live in eternity. His nail-scarred hands represent the fact that death has been defeated. Listen, we don't have to even fear death because of Jesus. He defeated death. And he paved the pathway so that when we die, when Satan gets his last laugh and we die, we don't fear it because we know it's just a step into eternity. So if you need Jesus in your life this morning, you need to know him. You need to make him the Lord of your life. You need to be able to recognize his voice. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. If you need Jesus, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all we have to do is just believe on Jesus. You don't have to have the Bible all figured out. You just have to understand that Jesus lives, he died, and he loves you. So if you need Jesus in your life, just pray this prayer with me. Abba's house, help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. I'm gonna have our pastors come down. If you prayed that prayer with me, the Bible says if you will not confess Jesus in front of your friends, that Jesus will not confess you and be an advocate for you in front of the Father. In other words, if you really met Jesus today or at some point in your life, you ought not be ashamed of Jesus. If you're ashamed of him now, it's going to be real hard to serve him in the future when times get tough. But if you prayed that prayer and you said, today I want to make it official, I've made Jesus Lord of my life. In just a minute, you ought to run down this aisle. But for the rest of you, listen, we're in difficult times. We're still under the dispensation of grace. We're still in the church age. But things are slowly and surely getting worse. And you need to get your faith back. You need to get your strength back. You need to get your priorities where they need to be. Maybe you come down today with a dream and you share it with one of these pastors. Or maybe you come down the aisle to just repent for just not serving the Lord the way he's asked you to or putting him first. Whatever it may be, we're here to pray for you this morning. Would you stand on your feet today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. I know people need healing in this place. People are hurting. People need salvation and grace. Some need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that when they put the armor on, they'll be able to walk in power and they'll be able to claim your victory day in and day out. So, Lord, whatever the needs of the people are today, Lord, I just pray that you'd meet their needs during this ministry time. You'd bless them in abundance. You'd save them, set them free. You'd challenge them. You'd convict them. And, Lord, I just believe you're sending us laborers for the harvest, that people are going to join Abba's house, and they're not going to have their own agenda. They're going to come be a part of your agenda and your mission, and they're going to want to serve the people of this city and serve this community like never before. Lord, we need laborers for the harvest. So Lord, we call on those laborers today. We declare that they are coming from the north, south, the east, and the west to help us do the work of this kingdom ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. You may come if you need ministry today.